Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown, one podcast at a time. Hello, dear friends. I'm your head mister, Lord Stefan Gearhart. And I am your co-mister, the man with no name, Lance Wayne. And together we are the misters, the misters of, of the... 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 Oh, let's try it again. The misters, the misters of the... Of the... the... Lance! The misters of the dark! Don't shut up! Oh, whatever. Join us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts or go to mistersofthedark.com where we'll be discussing all things horror from films and books to everything in betweensies. We also have the occasional victim. <laughs> I mean, guest. <laughs> Only on the Fearscape Mania Network. <laughs> Shut up, Lance. Oh, I always get the last laugh. Hi, friends. This is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, You have such good stage presence. Oh my god. That's right, zero preparation, multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. Thank you for tuning in to Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. We are on a journey to understand and to discover the phenomena that seems to exist all around the globe. We invite you to join us on this journey into the unknown. gentlemen to another fantastic and boy i'll tell you tonight uh this is going to be a learning episode but (laughs) another fantastic (laughs) educational episode of fearscape paranormal here on the fearscape media network uh i am your host stefan gearhart and i am joined as always by the hybrid himself mr josh rutledge what's happening (laughs) sir what are you a hybrid of i would say a uh i would say a twinkie and a care bear Okay. All right. I, I was gonna something like a tomato and a, a grapefruit, but sure. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Great. I'm trying to merge those together. Tomato. <laughs> tomato and grapefruit. Yeah. Tomato. You know the the, the tomato Toma- is definitely fruit. The the tomato is definitely present when I get really like uh, embarrassed. You know, my face turns over really red. You know. So. Oh yeah, dude. You and my friend Paul, dude. I always say you guys turn straight tomato when you're embarrassed. Yep. So. Cracks me up, dude. Cracks me up. 
So anyways, yeah, definitely, uh, man, the show tonight, um, obviously we, we, <laughs> we pre-recorded the, the interview portion. So I can say that, uh, uh, get ready for the rabbit holes that you will go down. Um, uh, you will go down under because our yeah. guest tonight is, uh, coming all the way from Australia, uh, author of children of Orion. Um, we are talking to Ryan Musgrave Evans. Uh, this man, I would say, is, the, in my opinion, the spiritual successor to Mac Tony's, um, yeah. uh, who was, uh, I believe, was the first person to coin the term crypto terrestrial. Um, but Ryan not only will be talking about crypto terrestrials, but he'll be sharing a lot of his own experiences yeah. with them. And uh, a a lot of good, you know, uh, I think, you know, you and I both left the interview uh, very kind of jazzed up about the conversation, the way that it went. It kind of helped for us solidify or or at least not solidify, but at least reinforce some of our own theories to hear the, you know, from somebody else on Mm -hmm. the other side of the globe. So, yeah. Yeah. So full title, Children of Orion finding the crypto terrestrials uh crypto terrestrial uh is similar in a lot of ways to ultra terrestrials um though crypto meaning hidden terrestrials meaning earthlings so hidden earthlings and i think uh ryan even uh describes that later on yeah um but yeah these these are um entities or or well he wouldn't say entities entities almost it just makes it feel like they're non-corporeal but um i i would say humanoids alien type humanoids Let's let's let Ryan tell. Yeah, sorry, I'm just excited because I want people to be pumped about it because <laughs> we had such a fantastic conversation yeah. and and we usually always like talk to our guests for a few minutes after the fact. I think we sat for an extra half hour yeah. after uh, we had stopped recording and just kept talking to Ryan and um, what an amazing guy. I think you guys are going to really dig this. Uh, what an amazing conversation. And uh, again, uh, Ryan Musgrave Evans, author of Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. A uh, uh, quick reminder, make sure you guys are um, helping us out if you can, supporting us by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash fearscapepod, or just go straight to fearscapepodcast.com slash support. There you can join uh, and be Become a monthly blanket hugger there uh, and join that or just simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash fearscape for a one-time gift if you're interested in that to help us. Like I said uh, in the last episode, we're going to be hitting up the uh, MUFON UFO Symposium uh, in July. We're going to be doing that. Uh, I got a baby coming, so, uh, you know. You yeah, guys- I mean, it's a... I think it's they're, they're done building almost done building it, it and then it's gonna get painted and shipped right that's that's yeah the plan. yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> so i got a baby coming so if you guys want uh my registry let me know <laughs> hit me up on a <laughs> fearscape email us at fearscape podcast at gmail.com it says send me the link i will gladly send you the link if you want to send me some cool ufo baby stuff I would absolutely love that. Um, that would be super cool. My sister, Josh, I don't know if I told you this or not, but she had gotten me a, uh, or well, not me, but my baby, Hazel, um, gotten her a Ghostbusters onesie. Um, hmm. Super excited about that, as well as a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man uh, is going to be her first little stuffed animal. So super excited ah, about that. Very cool. Uh, but anyways, uh, moving on from that, I want to get straight into uh, our segments here so we can get to uh, our, our guest, Getting Spooky with Ryan Muscary Bevin. So the first one is Psychic Word of the Week. And now, the Psychic Word. 
Okie dokie, psychic word of the week, as usual, comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from Junji Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. You better rest in peace, honey, because I fell in love with that picture I found of you on the interwebs. JD's been trying to track her down, and he found a picture, yeah. and now he's just enamored. So just putting that out there, Junji Bletzer, I know you passed on, but you have an admirer uh, in the Jersey Devil and myself. Uh, I, I love you, too. Uh, but anyway, so I flipped through the pages. I actually asked... Uh, which is really cool. And this is true, Josh. I asked Junji Bletzer to, uh, I sent out telepathy um, kind of through my mind. And I said, point me towards something really cool UFO related. Because, um, you know, we've got uh, Ryan on and crypto terrestrials uh, could be mixed up with extraterrestrials and things like that. So I flipped and uh, the first, I landed on page 441 and I looked down and I see this term called old Valicus. And then she always puts in parentheses the kind of genre that it fits in and uf- ufology <laughs> you, it is right there. So she did indeed help me find a UFO related psychic term. So I'm super pumped about that. Like mm-hmm. I had a little pudding right there. Uh, but yep. old Valicus, here's what this means says one of the first spacecraft to come to earth and land beneath a mountain in copper basin idaho believed to come with good intent as there was no one lying dead afterward it seemed to be carrying some smaller crafts uh so that's old valicus so that i'm gonna add that to our little topics list of things can you spell it for folks? Yeah, old Valicus, so O-L-D, of course. And then Valicus is V as in very, A-L-I-C-U-S as in Stefan. Valicus. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So good old, old Valicus. I mean, it even sounds like the name of an old ship, you know? <laughs> I know, it really does. I was uh, spent my years in the Navy on old Valicus. Or, or also, the name of a horse. <laughs> Valicus, yeah, or old like Valicus. You know, a lot. Of, you know, like a lot of horses are named for their parents, right? So you, you got Pharaoh Moon as the one side, and yeah, I don't know, jumping, jumping Nancy on the other side, and then you, you like the offspring ends up being like you know Pharaoh Nancy or something. So it's like it's almost like it's this offspring of Valiant Thor and somebody else. <laughs> I kind of thought that too. I'm not going to lie. When I saw VAL, I immediately went to Valiant Thor myself. Um, so I did a quick Google search. I'll tell you what, there's not a whole lot. There's one thing yeah. that came up uh, and it says there's a painting called the Valicus or referred to as old Valicus um, spaceship of the, the size of a Phoenix was over 500 feet in diameter. Uh, this story was obtained by a telepathic awareness some years ago. Well, that explains why it's in this book. Uh, and printed in a psychic newspaper called The Prism from Mind. And that's M uh, dot I dot N dot D dot. Uh, a nonprofit organization in Hollywood dedicated to UFOs. So, um, yeah. So I did find about the only thing I could find. I'll take a look into that more. But yeah, if any yeah. of you guys have heard of the, the Valakis story or old Valakis or uh, know anything about that, um, Jacques, uh, looks like this guy's name is Jacques Drabier, um, who is the vice president. So mm. um, he's a contactee and ufologist and psychic artist. So may do a little deep dive into that, yeah. Josh. Could be really, really interesting. Yeah, so. yeah it could be. 
Cool, cool. All right, Josh. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Let's go ahead and get to our next segment of the week, which is I got us a little bit of spooky news. Okie dokie. Got some spooky news. Um, God, man, boy, you know, it's always fun having to try to choose which... (laughs) <laughs> spooky news stories yeah. that I choose because, boy, I've been finding some humdingers now that I've narrowed my search a little bit. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, go with this one. Um, I've got one I'm gonna save for next week. But this comes from the Mirror in uh, the UK. Here, the headline reads: Time traveler from 2028 says he's been alone in post-apocalyptic world for 340 days Hmm. uh this is a tiktoker okay so uh ironically we (laughs) we just talked about this so we just sent out a tiktok asking people what uh tiktok paranormal high strangest rabbit hole they've been down lately and i had mentioned mine has been time travel uh and it wasn't even because of this article i found this today so um excuse me I'm going to have to find this guy, though. A TikToker who goes by Javier shares videos to his 6.6 million followers showing deserted scenes in Valencia, Spain, as he claims he is the only human left on Earth. Now, uh, I do find it funny that, uh, A, he's got Wi-Fi and data, and B, it's able to travel back in time the signal. So we'll see if that's mentioned in this at all. Uh, A self-proclaimed time traveler who claims to be living in 2028 has shared his proof that he has been alone in post-apocalyptic world for 340 days. Uh, He proclaims that he is living in the future and there are no humans left. He lives in Spain and many of his videos show deserted streets with buildings and cars still in place. He has 6.6 million followers on TikTok. Uh, His Hmm. account is called Unicorn. So oh boy, I'm not even going to be, it's, it's Spanish for uh, only survivor. So I'm going to spell this out so people can uh, see this, but it's at U-N-I-C-O-S-O-B-R-E-V-I-V-I-E-N-T-E. Again, this translates to only survivor. He has since shared more videos of the city where there is no human activity. Uh, however, electricity and internet Connection appears to still be available in the future, which is how he has been able to share the videos. Now, isn't that convenient? Uh, Javier is claiming he is still alone and has spent 340 days in total isolation with the world at his mercy. Uh, The most recent post reads day 340. Uh, Alone in the world, I have toured cities and many more. What could be happening to me? Uh, In another recent video, he's visited a museum and claimed that it is normally always full of people. Uh, In the eerie clip, Javier roams around the museum that is perfectly preserved as no other human appears to be in sight. So since his first post, Javier has often shared updates of his life in the future. Uh, He has shared clips that reportedly show Barcelona, Madrid, and Seville. There was a barber from there. Uh, Other clips show (laughs) Javier taking viewers on a walk past apartments and children's playgrounds, although the scene is like a ghost town as there's no people seen on camera. Another clip that appears to have been filmed with a drone shows him standing on his own beach he claims that he is stuck in the future and is trying to find a way back 
to his time, which is now, and says the videos he posts on social media app proves that he is indeed the last human alive after the apocalypse. Uh, in a previous video, he asked his followers for help saying, I keep trying to find human life and I am losing hope. Today I got something to eat, but how long is this going to last? Uh, some TikTok users, of course, question uh, Javier and try to debunk them. Uh, when asked why there is still electricity to power lights and internet, he replied that he was not sure and added that most likely there is a type of connection between 2021 and 2027. Um, so I guess 2022 as well, uh, since this is reporting on an older post. So, uh, well, yeah. and, you know, it kind of goes along with, uh, you know, some of the things we've been talking around, uh, you know, the idea of time travel, that multiverse and all that kind of stuff. How do you think even some of that comes out in the interview with Ron tonight? So, you know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Talking about uh, what if 2021 in which he was last asked about and uh, 2038 where he's at uh, exist in dimensions right next to each other. And he slipped over to one who knows, yep. you know, yep. and maybe that's why he's able to get internet and stuff like that is uh, this is gonna sound really crazy but what if he's picking up data from across the dimensional portal like a, across the dimensional shift that he's able to get uh that through that and that's how he can send uh tiktok videos to now and that that time still moves forward right so i don't know yep very very interesting uh i always love anyone who has theories uh on time travel send them our way because we love them so <laughs> love them uh i yep. wish art bell was still alive so he could open up his time traveler hotlines again those were always <laughs> some of the best episodes man oh some of those were excellent so uh but josh let's go ahead and get to our segment uh the last one that we have before we get to ryan uh getting spooky with ryan is uh we've got a, a uap sighting of the week All right, uh, we got our UAP UFO sighting of the week. Josh, what do we got, and uh, where is it from? Yeah, so uh, this is coming from MUFON, and uh, it's actually uh, happened in uh, Great Britain, and uh, it actually was. Uh, it's the, the description is pretty short. It just says you know it happened on one on one twenty eight, so just a few days ago. Oh wow! As, as, as of the time of recording this, yeah, I think the last one we had was from a couple of years ago. So this one's yeah. recent. I like these. Uh, um, so the description just says that I see that there are uh, two orbs floating in my ring camera. You can see that they are synchronized and they maneuver around quite a bit. That's all it says in the description. <laughs> Shortest UAP sighting yeah. ever. But they did attach two ring camera movie videos, mm -hmm. and I've watched both of them, and it's they're interesting. So the scene is, you can, it's probably on like a garage. Um, that's what it kind of looks like. And you like, you see this guy's cat, you know, walking on the sidewalk or whatever. And kind of off in the distance up in the sky are like uh, two, two lights that are uh, on the video appear to be separated like maybe about half an inch, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, put that in the sky, it's probably, you know, like 50 feet or something. Yeah. Um, and they, they very much appear to be uh, somehow linked, like in tandem, because when they don't move separate from each other, they, it's like they're, they're constantly moving together. 
from a, um, a skeptical time type type response. I've, I have seen this before on my own ring camera, mm-hmm. and I have in a, and I usually if I watch for a while, a, a spider produces itself, and it's a web that has uh, dew droplets. And the dew droplets show up in the IR light, but the but the, like the the webbing does not. And so I don't know that that's what this is. I mean, I'll, if you're a MUFON, you know, member, you can go out and check out the video. But um, that's what it kind of reminds me of because they move in tandem. Like they're they seem to be linked by some invisible connection, um, and that's why I, like for me it, it kind of feels like a spider web type thing. But again, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, very interesting thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, if you're a member of MUFON, you can check out that those videos. Um, we can't obviously post those for obvious reasons, but uh, check yeah. them out if you get a chance. Um, but yeah, could be. You never know. Uh, that We should always take a skeptical eye towards things. That's what we are right. here to do. I mean, do I, is, you know, we, we, you know, we were recently talking about it, I think, uh, last weekend. We heard it on, um, uh, I can't remember if it was a podcast. It was, it was Art we Bell's to. show. We okay. were listening to yeah. uh, the show he had on Sirius. I can't remember that. Maybe it was called like Dark Matter or something yeah. along those lines. But yeah, he had Timothy Good on there, uh, famous UFOlogist. And, and basically the, the, the phrase was, um, you know, being skeptical is, is needed. Um, but a lot of times, you know, you have high, high die, die hard, if you will, skeptics. They're more debunkers. Yeah, the, and, the, and, uh, we as uh, investigators, we are skeptics. That's all of us are skeptics. But the, right. those that call themselves skeptics are really more debunkers than they are skeptics. Like yeah. we're skeptical because we're trying to figure out the truth of it. They're trying to figure out the lie of it. That's the difference. Is what Art was trying to say. Yep. So I mean, again, uh, the videos are available. Uh, the last time there was a pretty good videos like this, somebody somebody downloaded them and posted them on Instagram. So you might even be able to find it out there somewhere. But um, <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty good little. We're not going to do that. Um, but Mm-mm. but uh, but we yeah, love our so, fun people. Yep. So. Um, but yeah, cool. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate that. So uh, all right, well we're gonna uh, go ahead and uh, get into our interview with the author of Children of Orion. Uh, finding the crypto terrestrials, Mr. Ryan Musgrave Evans. Hey there, blanket huggers. Stefan here from Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Got some good news for you. If you want to join in on the investigation of the mystery of the recent emails from the man claiming to be Terry Wrist to Josh and myself, aka the Spooky Crew, uh, and his advice on where to look for more high strangeness, uh, or if you simply want to become a patron blanket hugger for some cool swag and behind the scenes goodness, go ahead and join our Patreon at fearscapepodcast.com slash support or patreon.com slash fearscapepod. There you can get Riskwatch access to the Terry emails themselves, the WhatsApp conversation about it all with Josh, Stefan, Santosh, and Olaf Phillips, and even any clues that are new that we have found in other Fearscape-related bonus content. You can even help out and add anything that you have found to help 
us dive deeper into the mystery. And remember, you can also just be a normal blanket hugger, as there are a few non-wristwatch tiers for patrons not interested in Terry Wrist and that journey. You'll still have access to bonus interviews, articles, and live Patreon-only Q&As, as well as early access and discounted tickets to events put on by Fearscapes, such as psychic events, tarot readings, etc. Or you can simply support however you feel comfortable, with tiers as low as $1. So join today! All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys for sticking around. Like we said, we've got Ryan Musgrave Evans on the horn with us here uh, all the way from down under. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks, dude. Josh, Stefan, thanks for having me, dudes. Yeah, uh, man. Thanks for joining us, dude. We're the ones uh, that are the I almost said the pleasured, but that sounds <laughs> a little off color. So I'll leave. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, you know, it, when I first uh, heard about um, kind of your book and in, in the topic of it, crypto terrestrials, it, it really struck a chord with me because that's actually uh, the the book by Stefan McTonies. Thank you. Uh, I had really just started picking that up and reading it. Um, and then some other investigation stuff that we were doing kind of in parallel uh, re- led us to also looking at crypto terrestrial. So it was just yeah. very synchronistic. I, I, and- I don't even remember who turned us on to Max book. Um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody turned us on to it and I had found a copy of it. And I was like, Josh, you have to get this book. Um, this is all the stuff we've been talking about, just using better terminology than what we've been using. Um, and then just digging deeper, finding you, finding everything. I, I'm, I'm fascinated that Mac's not the only guy out there. So, well. Yeah, I'm a real Mac Tony's fan for sure. Same. Um, and the guy was just so eloquent. He just wrote so well. Yeah. And you hear him in interviews and when he's doing presentations and stuff like that. It's just like, it's just so articulate. Amazing but, stuff. But Yeah, um, and it and sucks he, we didn't get more from him. I hate it. Yeah, that's right. He was 34, I think, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, when he passed. Yeah, it's just such a shame because I feel like he was just opening up to the things that he was discovering. And I think he would have really, really opened the door for so much more. Yeah, we would have gotten a huge amount of books and extra speculation and stuff out of that guy. That would have been good stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I think when I first discovered him a few years ago, maybe. And he gave me that term, of course. I took that from him, of course. Crypto terrestrial, hidden earthling, yeah, um, which resonated with me and the beings that I'd been having contact with when I was a kid. And I thought that they were elves or fairies. M- more recent experiences in the last ten years, I reinterpreted as being sort of ET UFO related, because the the interaction sort of took on a bit of a different bent, like a stuff more usually associated with ET phenomena, like. Uh, uh, tabletop procedures and things like that, mm-hmm. clinical procedures, things. Whereas before, when I was a kid, there was not really that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, the idea that I mean, you know, Mac took ideas from Jacques Vallée, of course, mm-hmm. um, right. but he but he gave it his own kind of spin because um, but the idea that there's that continuity between elves, fairies, and other beings from ancient and old folklore, and the non-human entities behind uh you know close encounter phenomena today 
that there's there's a continuum of experience that there's a a good chance and it's very likely that these are the same race of beings or the same races responsible for all of this over centuries yeah so, uh, so crypto terrestrial is a really good word for that and also that they're indigenous i mean of yeah. course you know mac Tony's is like they want our dna they interbreed with us you know like peter curry yep. mac and uh, uh antonio villas boas you know uh you like succubi um or, or yan and she fairy lover lovers they're compatible with us yeah well and it, it makes me think about um uh, well, it makes me think about a lot of things, but <laughs> so uh, where I want to go first is the whole idea of compatibility. Uh, David Huggins, uh, in his story, his experiences, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Ryan. Oh, um, check out uh, Love and Saucers. It's a fantastic documentary. Oh, um, oh this is The Artist. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, I do know that, dude. Yeah, I haven't seen the documentary, but I have yeah. seen. Watch it. You're going to find yourself going... I'm with you, man. You just yeah. like <laughs> just fall in love with the guy. <laughs> but yeah, paintings are pretty cool. Yeah, I, they really are. I want one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, the whole idea that um, basically, you know, they came and chose him really against his will um, <clears throat> to uh, further their genetic uh, re- you know, procreation because they lack the ability to do it on their own. Yeah, uh, he just ended up getting a little Stockholm syndrome and kind of yeah. fell in love with the the alien that he was mating with and and different things like that. And he is a big proponent of it now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think I'm a bit guilty of that as well of the of the Stockholm syndrome. Perhaps people could interpret it in that way with yeah. my own experiences too, because I um, you know, I I have very strong emotions towards some of the beings that i've interacted with mm-hmm. um and uh you know perhaps you could interpret it as stockholm syndrome or whatever but uh that i've been brainwashed or or whatever but um but i like it so you know yeah, yeah. we well, we do too <laughs> we've had our experiences too yeah oh you have oh cool Very. oh cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah i know for me for sure and and yeah it's just i don't i don't know what other term to use you know it's like they're it's such yeah. a phenomena that's still people are afraid to touch right so it's like there's not a not a real term for it and stockholm's about the closest thing especially in terms of huggins's case because he was taken against his will right so there was that feeling there there was that sense of kidnapping and and you know being brainwashed for him so i mean it fits him more than anything and then i think you know something that i've uh read or, or heard recently um is the idea that uh a lot of these entities don't um talk to us right they in, in ryan you you might have different uh firsthand experiences of this but but they communicate to us through emotional states or colors or it, it's a it's a deeper conversation than words and so because of that it has a different impact on us emotionally than just words yeah, for sure. In my own experience, uh, some of it's linguistic, uh, some of it's abstract ideas and notions, some of it's visual, mm-hmm. where they or it's, there's been on occasions where I could not see out of my own eyes because of the landscapes and images that are like flicking across my mind's eye, my yeah. mental uh, projected by them, presumably when they're there, um, but also abstract notions 
certain ideas and understandings about things and having sort of aha moments that I think uh, that I attribute to them as being intrusive thoughts, as being some kind of manipulation and uh, but um, but also linguistic um, in the sense of a t more sort of stereotypical telepathy. Mm -hmm. But the nature of it is that it's like a silent voice that communicates that's either obviously masculine, obviously feminine or neutral. It can be any of those three mm -hmm. things. Sometimes, so even though it's noiseless, somehow it still has a masculine feeling sometimes or a feminine feeling or neither in particular communicating a packet of information like but still linguistically but but a sentence that all of a sudden is present and represented in my mind much faster than it could take someone to utter it right. to express it verbally to, to hear it have their brain translate it and pre present it back to you in a mechanism you understand well, and even then we're trying to describe these in human terms, right? The way that we can, how we can understand things, we still have to try to explain it through our understanding and, and learning, which is the the interesting part of it all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah the, lots of presumptions and interpretations that might not really be, be spot on, but they're highly, of course, highly manipulative. You know, like, <laughs> and I say, I say, you know, I like them. I dig them. Of course, I don't know where my ideas begin and end to some extent mm -hmm. and to how much that is a manipulation where, right. you know, in that kind of Stockholm syndrome kind of way, maybe where it's uh, like that. Or um, I feel an intense affiliation for them. I feel like an outsider to society in certain respects. I feel like I've, all, I've never really belonged. I sort of look at their world and feel like, that's interesting. I was raised by a family that was sort of, I don't know if you'd call it cultish, but just sort of different outside mainstream society to such an extent that we had our own little tribal views and mm. understandings about the nature of the world that weren't quite mainstream. We were stigmatized, subjected to ridicule, um, especially my older siblings that are quite a bit older than me. When, we, when my family moved to that town, subjected to a lot of ridicule, we felt like fringe dwellers. We felt like societal beings on the fringes of mm. mainstream reality, which is what the crypto terrestrials are as well. So there's this sort of deep-seated deep seated sort of appreciation for what they feel. Because um, they seem to, they have mixed emotions as well. They do want to be accepted. They right. do want to be considered to be just another race <laughs> right. of, of human, like of hom humanoids living here on this world. Right. I mean, exactly what they are, you know, you could, I call them in my book, Homo Orionis, O-R-I-O-N-I-S, just because they've had a, a relationship with a middle star in Orion's belt for a certain mm -hmm. period of time, um, even though being originally from Earth. Um, whether or not you want to call them Homo Orionis or Homo sapiens Orionis, so not mm -hmm. actually a separate species, but rather a separate subspecies. Mm -hmm. right. They call us Homo sapiens sapiens to distinguish us from, us from them. I mean, this, if they're interbreeding with us, there's this very close genetic affiliation. And of course, technology, maybe they've got advanced technology that can sure. bend bend the rules a little bit, but still, right. you know. Well, I mean, like the Neanderthal, I mean, we were able to breed with the Neanderthal. I mean, hell, you hear people all the time doing their Ancestry.com, not a sponsor, doing their thing and finding that they have 1% Neanderthal in them still, even though the Neanderthals are extinct, you know. Uh, here's another yeah. subspecies um, that, yeah, why, why could we not? 
That's right. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't so... realize. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I oh, just um the, the the fellow you were talking about before that does the art. What's his name again? Sorry. David, David Huggins. Huggins. Yeah, David, David Huggins. Huggins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that um they'd communicated to that guy, to to David um, that they had problems reproducing themselves and require us. Yeah, because so that's he... interesting. Because that's what they've said to me as well. And of course, that was the presumption, as a hypothetical presu- a hypothetical thing. Of course, that Mac Tony's built into his crypto terrestrial hypo- hypothesis that kind of idea yeah. that they seem to require us to further themselves or to repair their own genetic genes. So, so the, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the next place that I wanted to take this, the, the next thing that came to my head uh, was the whole idea of the Darrow and Tarot with the Shaver mystery. The Hollow Earth. The Hollow Earth. Okay. and Because, um, I mean, yeah, we talk about fairy lore and all these other lores all kind of being similar to the same thing, which is a theory Josh and I have had since long before we started this podcast as well. But yeah, as this, the more and more we read of Hollow Earth stuff, Shaver Mystery, Darrow and Tarot, how much that also fits into that mold. Yeah, I had a little bit of a look into that because when I was reading about Mactonis at first, people had said that he was just basically regurgitating those ideas. But as I read into Mactonis stuff, of course, there was there were differences and he wasn't suggesting all of the things. He wasn't Agreed. just mimicking someone else. Right. Yeah, but... Um, but yeah, those, those ideas are fairly compatible, aren't they? I mean, I mean, the cryptoterrestrials themselves, as far as I'm aware, and also Mactoni's in his hypothesis suggested, aren't living in a hollow earth. Their habitations are much more superficial, in the sense that they're not that deep underground. They're yeah, in mountains. Yeah. They are under the ocean. They right. are under the earth. They are subterranean, but not in the sense of they're being yeah. this hollow earth kind of well, notion, which is another know, claim again much larger of course yeah i think the hollow earth is more of just become a sticker people put on things now for any type of creature that just happens to live underground or not on the the, yeah. the normal earth i mean we you know we talked about it with uh lava tubes and things like that that are still subterranean um they get oftentimes grouped together as hollow earth but really you know some of those lava tubes are so massive that you could fit you know 100 million people within them uh you know spread across so you know it so bottom line the the idea of hollow earth isn't necessarily like the core of the earth is hollow but they're hollow spaces within the earth uh where these things you know other races could be living yeah and the idea that maybe that's where atlantis is I, I, I don't know anything about Atlantis. Yeah, uh, you don't. <laughs> I don't know. That's. I mean, I, I've never really researched Atlantis. I know that it crops up a lot in, you know, the UFO scene and paranormal scene, uh, and also you know, New Age, the New Age scene. Oh, you know, for sure, kind of New Age. It's all yeah. about Atlantis and crystal. And Lemuria. <laughs> yeah. Lemuria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I the the dudes. The, the crypto terrestrials, they, the ones, okay. Your listeners are most likely going to be familiar with James, uh, with Charles James Hall. I'll very, very quickly, if it's okay, just give a little bit Please of an do. explanation yeah. about Charles Hall. Um, Charles Hall uh, claims to have been stationed at uh, Nellis Air Force Base in the 60s as a weather observer, like just 
going out into Indian Springs with a theodolite and sending balloons up and, and you know, measuring the speed and direction of the wind and radioing that back in or calling that back in. He did that for two years and claims to have had regular and prolonged interaction with a group of humanoids that whistled, chirped, barked, were tall, fair, huge blue eyes, fine white hair or blonde hair, um, subterranean dwelling, lived in the mountains there, sort of honeycomb mountains and in the old mines and things like that, um, behaved in ways reminiscent of poltergeist activity, you'd say as well, and some of the stuff they'd subject him to in his, in his uh, hut, in his um, shed that it, that it was on site there. Um, that would wear luminous suits and float around and look like uh, will-o'-wisp at dusk on the horizon that spoke directly into his mind. Um, now, these, when I first came across Charles Hall's writings, uh, it was a fair few years ago now, I'm not quite sure how many years ago it would be, I recognised that as media, immediately. And I've been doing a little bit of research into UFO stuff because I've been having experiences that were more ET-like rather than sort of more strictly sort of fairy-like or elf-like or what I thought was that. And I'd researched a few different dudes. So I'd looked at Billy Meyer. I don't know what you guys think of Billy Meyer. I don't believe the dude. I'll just say that right now. Uh, now, now, but what I did is I looked at Billy Meyer and I was like, oh, this is interesting because tall, fair beings with blue eyes, this is like the stuff I've been experiencing. And I was looking into that and I was like, oh, no, I don't know about this dude. But I came across Millennial Hospitality series of books written by this guy, Charles Hall, who claims to have been stationed at Nellis, as I said. Um, and I was like, these are identical to the beings that I've been having interactions with, even down to the barking, whistling, chirping language. Uh, certain aspects of the my interactions above and beyond what he seemed to have, in, uh, them wearing these dark suits with like a, no, a nasal appendage that hangs down the front of their face with a breathing device with goggles the glow red at night with like fake claws on the ends of their fingers that can, and they cloak and can pass through walls. These suits, I didn't really associate that with Charles Hall and he didn't talk about that kind of thing, but I have seen them as well in the luminous suits, especially when I was a kid levitating up and down. Um, now, so that, that just gave me an intense interest in Charles Hall. So I just really got into his books. Okay. But um, the Huishlan, Nahuishlan, that's a description of Nahuishlan anyway, the description I just gave of the tall whites, you know, the, the Gaelic fairies, tall fair beings, well, one of the races of the Gaelic fairies, the Nahuishlan, the gentry, subterranean dwelling beings, uh, tall and fair, um, speak to you straight into your mind, um, behave as poltergeists, move stuff around, play tricks on you, uh, live in the earth and... and you know, this, there was this connection then that I saw between the elves, my own experiences, and Charles Hall. Now, they've told me lots of different things about the nature of themselves. Um, and these are the beings that I've decided to label cryptoterrestrials after Mactonians, you know, uh, but it's a very particular group. Um, and they have said they're called, they call themselves the Majina. Majina, and I spell that M-A-J-E-E-N-A. -E -E I could have spelled it another way, I suppose. But that's just what came to me at the time when I was trying to coin a spelling for what I was hearing them say. They said their name is. We are the Mudjana. They said it a couple of times. I deliberately asked them if I'm getting this pronunciation right, and they say yes. That's when I started to make associations as well between the Wanjana, the Kim in the Kimberley of the petroglyphs of the huge 
uh, the beings, big eyes, yep, mm -hmm. yep. in the Kimberley, that are called the Wanjana. And one day I was like, hold on a second. And I was just like, is that the same word? Is that the same word? And I was thinking maybe this word was communicated to the Indigenous Australians <laughs> millennia ago as a word for themselves, as they did for me. Um, now, so, th so they're the beings, basically. And Charles Hall, I've tried to get in contact with Charles Hall. It's very difficult to get in contact with the man. Um, it's very difficult to get past the gatekeeper that is that his is his spouse. She um, does all of his, uh, you know, emails and and uh, social media stuff. Yeah. Uh, she was not interested in hearing from me at all, and shut me down, and was like, basically, don't you put too many quotes from my husband's books in your book? Thank you very much. And I was like, <laughs> okay, right. Anyway, so so, so um, unfortunately, I've never been able to have a yarn with Charles Hall himself. Uh, so they're, they're the dudes anyway. That's what I'm choosing to call crypto-terrestrials. And there are other races, but they're the primary one that I've written my book about. Interesting. Um, so uh, I know you had mentioned having some experiences. Would you be open to sharing, you know, one of your earliest experiences of how you, not how you got into this, but how your first experience with them? Um, yeah, well, I have experiences I had a fair few of these experiences when I was little. Um, so like elementary school age or maybe, and also younger, you know, um, of waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to wake any of my family, some other siblings and my parents just being, they're dead to the world. I just can't wake them up. I'm scared, I'm on my own. And I feel drawn to go outside where there's luminous people levitating that I thought were harlequins. Also darker people, dark-skinned beings with claws, with glowing red eyes, leaning against the fence, watching smaller beings, smaller luminous ones, leaping up and leaping up in my face. They were like little puppets, running around on all fours, galloping. Um, and so I had a, a few of those kinds of experiences. Um, and another one where I was felt summoned outside and there was a tall, dark shape standing on a boat like a yacht, a sailboat in my dad's front yard that he built. There's a sailboat sitting there on props. Uh, when I went out there, there was this tall, big, like a shadow person, I suppose you'd say. The left down onto me, grabbed me and threw me into what I thought was a sack. <sighs> and then I could feel myself knocking against his back as we were moving at an incredible speed. And then I was screaming and they stopped and they opened it and they put their long hand in and started stroking me as though they wanted me to stop closed it again and then just started racing off again and then i had missing time and i was back at home screaming hmm. um poltergeist activity things being borrowed to be returned and things like that i had a lot of that happen my parents still do in that same house they're in their 80s now they still live in the house i grew up with when i was a kid they have their own stories to tell they had experiences when they were kids they still have things going missing and replaced and all that kind of stuff in that house but um yeah, so a daytime one that I talk about a fair bit. I, I, I often give this an, as an example because it was a daytime encounter that was just so vivid and raw. I was quite young at the time. Um, I was I would have been just a month shy of turning five. I was quite, so I was quite young. I have a lot of memories from when I was four, though. That's basically when I felt like my consciousness was switched on. I don't have many memories when I was two or three, 
but once I turned four, I've got heaps of memories of being four. Same. Four, Same. four is when my my abduction experience happened was four. And, and yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, did, did, after I finish this, do you mind talking about that? I'd be interested sure. in hearing about I'll, it. I'll talk a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so this being was behind a tree anyway, behind a pine tree. Um, and it looked like it had, I could see, like it was looking out to either side of the tree long fingers uh a triangular shaped head big black eyes and what looked like ridges on the top and i always thought of it as looking like a mask like it wasn't the being's actual face um i thought it was some kind of later on i interpreted that as being some kind of tree spirit or a fairy or an elf and got intensely interested in celtic the celtic fairy faith and neo-paganism and wicca and druidry and all this kind of stuff as a consequence of this particular event really was the, the the catalyst for it but um it's fleshed its skin or its suit really it was looked like it was made out of the same texture as the tree um and so i thought it was like a tree spirit but now i interpret that as being a part of its cloaking mechanism. yeah i was gonna say like a almost like a um uh chameleon yeah that and um i've seen those suits since uh many times uh the children wearing them but usually adults wearing them military grade suit it seems to be capable of heaps of different wonderful things levitating intangibility to pass through solid objects um seems to have some kind of force field it can project as well um and uh also this device it has on the nose which i'm pretty sure has something to do with uh uh resonating and amplifying sound mm. um uh, to, to mimic wildlife, but also to uh, produce hooting and roaring sounds to travel vast distances. So anyway, the, I am very, very certain, 100% certain, by the way, that the Sierra sounds are mudgeon. Are they tall whites? They're not Sasquatch. I don't know if Sasquatch exists, but the Sierra sounds recorded by Ron Moorhead sound identical yeah. to the to the sounds, to the way they speak. They speak, they use camouflage languages, animal-like sounds, they also do the and do this real hooting to cover them. Yeah. And yeah. when they're actually speaking their native natural language, I thought it was Japanese. And I hear it speaking to each other and speaking to me at one stage. I can't understand it. I thought they were speaking Japanese. That, the Sierra sounds are sometimes called samurai chatter. And yes, I was, I was about that, to say that. <laughs> when I first heard the samurai chatter when I was watching David Politis missing 411 The Hunted. Mm-hmm. It was the first time, it was like a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe not even a couple of years ago, very recently. I didn't realize the Sierra sounds existed. Of course, they were done in the 70s mm-hmm. by Ron Moorhead, Alberian Ron Moorhead. I had no idea about them until missing 411. And I was like, holy cow, this is, these are tall whites, definitely. Interesting. Um, now, and also another tall white experience of, um, Julio Fernandez in Spain, 1978, the Soria abduction, S-O-R-I-A, taken aboard a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. He and his dog, he was hunting. Tall, pale beings with huge blue eyes, long, heavy chins, which is like, as they get older and older, their faces get longer. They end up with these really long faces with heavy chins. Uh, and they can end up being like nine, ten foot tall and stuff as well. But their faces lengthen as well. Because you can tell, if you just see the face of a mudgeon, you can tell roughly how old it is. But so the the huge chins, so these are fairly old um, beings that um, Julio Fernandez met. He describes their language, and he says it sounds like 
a co combination of German for its guttural features and Chinese for its monosyllabic features. But then he said it sounded like the cries of the martial arts of the Orient. <laughs> and then it was like mixed with barking and things like that. Um, and when um, a ufologist got hold of him and, and played world languages for him and said, hey, dude, of these languages, have a bit of a listen and say what language of the earth sounds most like what you heard. And he ended up settling for Korean. But, you know, Co Korean and Japanese, to my ears anyway, not being able to speak either of them, sound right. very similar. Yeah. Uh, same sort of intonations, same, yeah. same kind of thing. He said they sounded like they were talking out of their stomachs and throwing the, the sounds and the, the, the words up out of their stomachs. Just a perfect description of the Sierra sounds, really. But this guy gave... Is a tall white or Nordic experience or whatever people didn't use the term tall white. Back yeah, then. And, and you um, know it's interesting because it, you know in terms of genetics, um, people my and myself included, being a blue-eyed person, people with blue eyes, um, it is such a, a rarer strain that they say that every person that has blue eyes is related that they come from the same line and there are a number of theorists that do believe that they come from these either ets or cts that do have these blue eyes and that's where that that um that uh hybrid breeding strain comes from is from that including the tall the tall blondes of course as well which is why a lot of uh nordic people have the blonde hair blue eyes and you you know the old like georgia adamski and things like that talk about the the old school aliens being these tall blondes um that they are also part of that same line with the blue eyes that come from somewhere else i just find that very yeah. interesting yeah i i um i i'm fairly closed-minded as well like I, I, that's the thing as well like um I, uh, a lot of the, the old encounters of, you know, what do I call it? Like the Georgia Damsky, Billy Meyer. Type yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, there's a phrase for that, the, the old, the contactee movement or whatever. You yeah, know, the, the contactee contact, movement. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing of these people that are like Scandinavian supermodels that look yes. like homo sapiens sapiens, other than being maybe more attractive than the average dude or chick. They're Fabio. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is interesting. I mean, uh, you know, those those people might have had real experiences, but were interacting perhaps, who knows, with... Yeah, who knows? Germans or you know, actual Homo sapiens people trying to back-engineer these craft and messing with people maybe. Who knows? I really don't know what to say about yeah, that. Yeah, especially but, during that time period, for sure. But um, but uh, when it comes to the like the sharing of our DNA and things like that, I know that there's a lot of stuff in the community, the UFO community, um, about people in the world being hybrids. That the that the ETs or CTs or whatever are, are altering us and in, interbreeding with us, or just altering our DNA to make them us more like them mm -hmm. for certain reasons, best unknown to themselves. Um, in my opinion, I don't really know if any of that's going on, but I definitely know that it runs the other way. Mm -hmm. That they are intensely interested in appropriating our genetic traits to a certain extent, the, the ones they perceive as being, um, you know, attractive to them that they need. Uh, they they uh, they um, heal very slowly. They have allergies uh, beyond what we have. They can die from. Uh, 
a dog bite because of the um, the germs, uh, mm, bacteria. The uh, they have real the saliva. They have real problems breathing our pollen. And and even though they're originally from Earth and they're compatible with our air to a certain extent, when it comes to breathing and dust and pollen and things like that, it can kill them if they, they get lung infections. The drop of a hat, and they 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 cannot find a way to permanently correct these pathologies and maladies without um, gathering our DNA and, 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 and uh, mm. using Which that. Which is interesting, like that. you said, how it can flip both ways. It almost makes you wonder if that's where asthma came from. Right? We inherited well, that aspect from that. Yeah. You know, there's a couple things I wanted to... So, the idea of the notion that um, they can't uh, be in our atmosphere, right, because of the pollen and things like that, makes me think about some of the uh, 1800s uh, UFO sightings where uh, there would be an anchor that would hang up on a church bell and somebody from the ship would shimmy down this rope to try to free the anchor. And if they got down there for too long, they would die. Like they like they were drowning in their in our atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, they're interesting. Those old accounts, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Even the John Keel accounts when they were talking about some of the Men in Blacks, like where they needed to take these atmosphere pills, right? To because they were they would have these issues. They would need big glasses of water and to take these blue pills yeah. because of the atmosphere. They were like start yeah. to turn really bright red. They mm-hmm. would take a pill. They would their face would color would come back. They'd wheeze and stuff, wouldn't they? That stuff. Yeah, yeah they would start wheezing. Start yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah, I also like it's it's interesting. You talk about their um, uh, cloaking suits because one of the theories that I had a couple of years ago was that a lot of poltergeist activity is actually ET or CT interacting in your house as a cloaked entity, going through your cabinets, going through your closet. You just happen to get up and interrupt them. Your doors are all open, but you know they were just yeah. There and the the see through visage that you see is just seeing through the cloak. Essentially, you're still seeing a form. It's just see through, right? Which would be a ghost in other terms if you didn't know what else to call it. Right. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think that CDs are responsible for most. If, you know, saying all paranormal phenomena is probably too big a claim to make, but most paranormal phenomena can be explained by the presence of these guys. Mm-hmm. The uh, poltergeist activity, yeah, for sure. The shadow people, you know, hitchhiker effect of people seeing UFOs or going to places that they think are haunted, um, and then something coming back home with them, um, investigating them, uh, messing with them, uh, voices in the, in the house, uh, heavy boots on the roof, sounds of people talking uh, through your house, you know, your frying pan disappearing from the countertop and being found in the freezer, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> they, this is that, an example, is, right? Just a yeah, example. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is them. Or, or for the most part, it's them, I'm sure. Um, now, you know, there are, you know, a lot of haunted uh, places. Tend, there are places that are known to be haunted, right? Or they're sacred places or things like that. Uh, for example, in Kentucky, where we're at, um, there's Waverly Hills Sanatorium. It's, it's always known to be haunted for a very, very long time. Always shadow people. Now, with the crypto terrestrials, like, you know, do you, 
if they're hitting a same location, do you think that that's because that is also a, a, a an important piece of land to them or a sacred piece of land to them, as opposed to simply following a family around like some entities are known to do? Like, but one, like a place that is consistently haunted, no matter who is there, who's living there, whatever. They have subterranean habitations or facilities. Yeah, or, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is there an entrance or something close? That's the other thing. Probably there's something under the ground there or nearby. Which makes sense with Waverly because it's on top of one of the largest peaks in in Louisville, Kentucky. So, you know, uh, there's a mountain right there. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I think, I think that, and, 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 Poltergeist and high strangeness, shadow people, and that kind of phenomena are more likely, I think, to be seen in houses and on farms and ranches near near an underground habitation. If it's warmer weather as well, they they follow the warmth. So yeah, you don't hear a lot of yeah, you don't hear a lot of abduction stories in the winter. Now that I think about it, besides old Krampus tales or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they may they remain dormant, uh, you know, like the mm-hmm. habitations, but also they're under they're under the sea as well, so, mm-hmm. um, uh, all over the place. But um, but but certainly, yeah, like like you were saying, Josh, that's that's the dudes, the CTs, you know, the the they're haunting, they haunt people, um, for different reasons. You know, you might you might uh, you might be part of their breeding program and you don't know they interbreed with people. Um, it's supposed to be voluntary. But, you know, like you said, that the, the other guy, the artist, I've forgotten his name again, he said yeah. that he wasn't volunteering, was... but it's supposed to be voluntary. That's what they say anyway. But the thing is, is if you volunteer or, the, or you're, um, you're allowing this to happen and they've approached you and they've explained it to you, they don't let you remember that you gave permission. So then it's like, hold on a sec, this is a moral question. You know, ethically right. speaking, if, you've, if you're... Um, um, given consent to something and then you don't remember having given consent anymore is that withdrawn consent is it still consent yeah yeah but that will they consider yes it's still active it's still yeah that's right. a, I, I was listening to an old interview with Preston Nichols the guy that, that um, wrote the Montauk project and he talks about the Montauk project and he taught he was talking to Art Bell's an old interview and he was saying the reason I can talk about this openly because he's like isn't this a government project you're saying there's things you can't talk about. He said, well, those are things I signed for with the Montauk project. It was about mind control. They made us forget things. They used mind control. So they didn't have a sign anything because we all just forgot. It wasn't until these memories got unlocked that a number of us found each other and so, and so, and so, yeah, there's that same thing. It's like, how could we give consent if we don't remember, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's it, yeah. literally what I just listened to the other day was press and Nichols talking about that same thing in a different context. So if you're hearing, you know, weird voices in your head, like you like the silent voice in your head you have when you're reading silently to yourself, but sort of like not, it's your voice, but it's not really your voice. But if you're having intrusive thoughts like that images, hearing things in your house, dark shapes over the top of you, feeling hands on you in the middle of the night, and this kind of stuff, and you don't know why, it is a possibility that you have given consent to some kind of program that you don't remember giving consent to. That makes sense. It could also be that they are, depending on how negative the experiences are, they might be deliberately trying to move you on. That you you may be representative of some kind of, like for instance, what happened with the Sherman family or the Gorman family on Skimwalker Ranch, I'm very, very mm-hmm. sure, is that 
they were not appreciated or approved of. An underground imagine a habitation nearby. They had dogs. They had guns. They did not want these people near their children. The imagine they did not. Uh, a psychological warfare is then waged with a family to move them on, to be perhaps replaced by another family that's more amicable to them or approved of. That makes they might so not much have, sense. They might not have desires to mm. like set traps and hunt deer <sighs> in the nearby forest, or if you can continuously, as a group of crypto-terrestrials, continuously create a myth in the local homo sapiens community that there is a place that no one is meant to go that is foreboding. If you live there, your livestock livestock will be killed. Your dogs will be killed. You'll be afraid. There'll be people walking around your house at night. You'll have feelings of uh, visceral fear for no reason. That could explain cattle mutilations. Yeah, cattle mutilations. Well, that is, but I'm very sure that is what cattle mutilations are. I mean, I know there's lots of different theories out there, but if it's not the if it's not the yeah. total reason, it's at least the primary reason because the fairies and the elves in in in, in fairy lore, the 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 Gales, the Celts of Northern Europe, they knew that you don't um, graze livestock near a fairy habitation, or they'll kill yeah. your cattle. Mm-hmm. But that was just a thing that everyone understood. You don't do that. It's interesting because um, it, it's just like uh, I was just watching something on the Chupacabra and they were talking about that. The original Chupacabra sightings um, were near a mountain and they were what they saw was this tiny being no more than three feet tall that eroded into the modern day what we think of as Chupacabra. But the original sightings were exactly what you're talking about. And that it was the cattle that was being mutilated and things like that. And they did. They moved their farm. And it also reminded me of the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins in Kentucky from the 1950s, that family on the farm. What you had just said is it did indeed that they were being attacked to sound like they were being run off. Yeah, that's sure. exactly. I, that's- they, I mean, they had the illuminescence. I mean, the whole nine yards, everything you've well, talked about, even the the wrinkled heads, everything. And it makes me also think about, uh, you know, one of the theories that I've voiced and people uh, get mad at me about is that the idea that Mothman was not a bird, but actually a man in a suit. And oh, yeah. Had, when you were talking about the black ones with the claws, you know, the, that's what the I was red thinking. eyes, you know, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It really makes me wonder if if Mothman was trying to run somebody off of the point out of the Point Pleasant area. Well, look what they yeah. were doing at the main areas, right? So, yeah. Well, I, well, I I've, I've seen these suits, and they when they're levitating, they can blur off and kind of look like they've got wings, even though they don't have wings. Um, but uh, and the guy Mark Randall who did the cover for the book, I don't know if this is just going, is this just going to be audio or are you. Yeah, it's audio, but we'll be putting a link yeah, to the yeah, book. We'll put a link to the book. Yeah, yeah. He did. Uh, I I did some sketches of what I call Boas suits, named after Antonio Villas Boas, because I think his case is like the first in modern UFO era where they talk about these sort of dark suits um, being worn by pale beings. But um, I'd be I'd be surprised personally if the Mothman myth hasn't come about because of military grade ct suits but um you know maybe there's something else doing some of it as well there's yeah. something else that's it could be you know there's mothman but but yeah their suits definitely give a generally tall skinny beaks have very long necks especially as they get taller really long fingers four fingers and they have these fake claws on them uh and one little one thumb a vestigial thumb further up mm. their hand 
and mm. their fingers turn in on themselves like their palms they become prehensile and they oppose each other the four fingers oppose each other mm. and they and so their fingers can like do the real spock thing much further around than, than ours can <laughs> but when you when you see them they just they look like mothman basically uh or like some of the descriptions of mothman maybe sometimes yeah. mothman's described as not actually having a neck right yeah lots I've heard of mothman that descriptions are really you know lanky uh sickly appearance to them you know but anyway yeah I wonder if that's where also where the uh, the Wendigo legends come from again to keep people out of the woods in the winter time and things like that. Uh, if there's a you know you go in the woods, the Wendigo will get you and eat you and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so, yeah, um, just like um, disinformation campaigns they're running against us and through our communities as folklore and things like that for sure. Yeah, you know, and and these creatures, you know, like cryptids. Like, let's say, you know, Bigfoot-type-looking creatures, big, hairy, hominid-like creatures, or giant wolves, or giant canids of other des- descriptions that have, like, big, bushy tails, mm-hmm. or, like, small dinosaur-like creatures and things like that that can occur at places like Skinwalker Ranch or, you know, like that ranch in Colorado. I can't remember what people call it nowadays. But uh, Timothy Good wrote about it in his book, and I think um, Colin Callagher and uh, George Knapp mentioned it in one of the chapters of their Skinwalker Ranch book as well. But a twin a twin case to Skinwalker Ranch in Colorado that had um, the same kind of phenomena, like, a, you know, UFOs, um, uh, Bigfoot, um, giant wolves, giant dogs, disembodied voices, poltergeist activity, people being uh, c- cattle mutilations and all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, like the Sherman family or the Gormans, they were known as a one stage, but I think their real name was Sherman's at the at the um, Skinwalker Ranch. They um, saw these giant wolves, you know, and fired high-powered rifles at them and mm-hmm. threw bits of flesh out the back of them, and the animal didn't respond as if it had any pain response, trotted off, and then they follow the trails, and it's gone. It's been beamed up by Scotty. And uh, <laughs> they pick up, Colin Callagher saying, pick up a bit of flesh. And I, I don't think he wasn't there to pick it up, but I've heard him talking about how the rancher picked up a piece of flesh and it was decaying. Yeah. No. So what are these things? You know, and, and is Bigfoot partly explainable as well sometimes as being part of this kind of psychological warfare? Some kind of entities that are like temp, like transitory life forms, perhaps um, in being implemented somehow, like uh, that aren't really alive, that are being used to expel us from places. Well, They're you know, monstrous to us. You know, there's, there's a in in that. I'll also go back to the shaving mystery. Uh, they talk about the tarot uh, having a ray that they can point at humans and make you see things or make you experience things in a way that you know just to terrorize you. Which sounds kind of similar. Yeah, there's a similar ideas for sure. Yeah. Well, even you're talking about that the nose apparatus sounds very much like this. Some of the descriptions of the Darrow um, have that um, this they're known to have these elongated noses and things like that. But I mean, as someone who wouldn't know how to describe how you described it, that's how you may just perceive it. It is just like I mean, Josh and I were both like, that sounds exactly like that. It's, it's it's it just shows you how all of this stuff is more connected than we've ever realized. And and I think more people are starting to come around to that idea. But I still think it's a long way 
to go that we've got and i'm glad yeah. there's people like you out there writing and pushing this narrative because this is right where josh and i sit yeah for sure yeah, cool, cool. and i um i recently uh was doing some uh ancestry work and uh, i found that my uh mother's uh mother's line all the way back uh to uh scotland is the uh mcfay and uh it translates to friends of the fae so now i'm like you know i've got you know fae friendliness in my blood <laughs> um and uh and then i just picked up uh the secret commonwealth which is oh yeah book, cool you know, written back in the 1600s that talks a lot about the fae and things like that in that area so i'm looking forward to see what that uncovers for me yeah, that's uh, written in a very quaint, old-fashioned kind of mm -hmm. English, as you can yeah. imagine. That uh, can be a little bit hard going, I've found, because yeah. of that. But, but definitely worth the read. Yeah, it's it's. I've read it. It's fascinating. But I mean, I I'm a 30 year acting veteran doing Shakespeare most of my life, so I'm good. It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I actually found I, a, I found a uh, a revised um, copy that they they tried to uh, interchange more. Uh, commonly used language today so modernize it a modernize bit. it a little bit to make it easier to read so that's oh, cool that'd be interesting yeah, yeah. but yeah. yeah um but that that yeah the stuff some of the stuff that he says that kirk said the the, the scottish minister yeah. all the way back then he even says um i'm pretty sure it's in that as well he's i think there's a couple of other things briefer documents that he wrote as well um but I'm pretty sure it's in that actual, the main one, the com secret Commonwealth of Elves, Wars and Fairies, where he says, poltergeist activity is most likely due to our underground inhabitants, he calls them, like the elves, mm -hmm. um, rather than being ghosts or demons. And he gives his explanation for thinking that. So um, even way back then, centuries ago, this guy was thinking... Yeah. elves have got something to do with this you know because they he yeah. understood them and, and the, the 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 community around him understood them as being able to become invisible at will being present when you don't know they're there be careful about the kinds of words you use because they'll take offense easily and they could <laughs> yeah. be standing right next to you in your kitchen you know um but uh yeah yeah that's uh, yeah the, the kirk stuff's good stuff man yeah yeah and, and that's what i mean just the like in the last six months, uh, I've really been driving into the whole idea of fairies and elves and maybe these things weren't so um, just folklorish and they're still around and uh, interacting on a different level. Like they're, you know, again, interacting on our plane of existence, but it's like they're off biometric or something. It's like interacting around us but we're not experiencing them so yeah i think there's lots of that going on and then also you know even if you do happen to see them they won't let you remember it yeah you know so it's a little i think they they really are a bit like those um the silence in those doctor who episodes where you got yeah, the yeah. weird creatures you mm -hmm. see them and as soon as you look away you don't remember you just saw one they, yes. they can do that to you um, and they they said to me years ago, we apologize for the mesmerization. We apologize for the memory alteration. And I said to them, oh, that's okay. I'm sure you know what you're doing. 
Um, you know, but that I suppose that's a little bit more of the um, Stockholm syndrome again. I just presume they've always got my best interest in us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, I always wondered, you know, but I guess, you know, you, you know, you've been told so. So, I got, you know, I definitely take your word for it. But I always, always wondered, was it on purpose or was it just a product of the way they communicated or the way they did things was how I always had wondered, you know, was that mesmerization, that that forgetfulness, uh, just a product of what happened. But, you know, like I said, hearing from you saying that, you know, they're saying, sorry, this is just what has to happen um, is, is interesting as well. They have a lot of protocols that they've been building over centuries mm-hmm. on how, how to deal with us. How God, to it makes you wonder about that hierarchy. <laughs> To remove us as a threat, you know. Yeah, yeah. So and I think they make a split-second judgment where they read, they wear in their helmets technology. I call them telepath tech. Charles Hall called it electronics. They don't seem to be any more naturally telepathic or psychic than we are. So that they right. rely on this technology Able to implant, files. you know, false understandings in your head to yeah. cast glamoury, but also, you know, to judge you as a person. If they want, if all of a sudden you're there. You're standing and you've seen a group of them in a forest because you're hiking and they're there and their kids are playing or something. There's a split second decision they have to make as to who you are, what kind of person you are, how they remove you as a threat. Are you the kind of person that they have to instill visceral fear into the mind of to repel you? Are you the kind of person that that won't work on because it'll just make you dig your heels in? Then they might fill your mind with love and understanding and endorphins and remove you as a threat in that way so that you're just you know you'll love them to bits and then also they have to remove and then you know removing your memory of course is an element that they have to do as well yeah and you Um, know we would do the same that's the thing i always have to say to myself it's like we would do the exact same thing if we had that same technology if we had those same needs where we needed where we were sick all the time but we found out that this species that's similar to us could provide us with deep bubble we would do the exact same thing that that's the thing that always fascinates me when people talk about any type of alien experience i mean it's like the same thing if if it is indeed just aliens coming down to experiment on this species again this is something we already do to animals in the wild in, in the ocean and we will do when if we find them on other planets it's it's not yeah. different <laughs> that is definitely i think i agree that's mm-hmm. the key to understanding their psychology yep. is to basically put ourselves in that situation and i think we as you're saying stefan would we'd find that we're doing most of the same things ourselves or everything the same the psychology doesn't seem to be that much different to ours at all if different at all you know so do you think that there are people that are allowed to remember that they don't glamour you cut out there for a second josh yeah sorry do you think there are people that they allow to remember yeah they there are and i think with me and personally it's not that i am having experiences that other people aren't having i think it's more that they're more inclined to allow me to remember more so i think there's people all over the world that are having experiences with these dudes all the time for different reasons they just think their houses are haunted or maybe they don't have any inkling at all that there's any interaction going on that this is all happening that there's experiences or contactees or abductees all over the place all the time and just don't know about it some people do some people don't some people they allow to remember more or less 
And um, again, it's um, you know, it's a it's a selfish kind of motivation on their part. You know, um, again, like Stefan was saying, if we were in their position, we'd find ourselves doing the same thing probably. But um, they utilize people. So I, you know, I, I'm not in any denial that I am partly a tool to them to act out something they've decided needs to be acted out. Acted out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have future looking technology, like like prophetic technology, like scrying technology, can see mm-hmm. different potential futures. They can pilot reality in the same way that you'd pilot a research project or pilot a TV series where they place a scenario into the technology and try to see how to work out down the track 10, 20, 30, 40, like the, the, the repercussions or um, future consequences of actions happening right now. This is how they guide their world. And to them, it's sacred as well. Their, wow. their technology, their prophetic technology is considered to them to be sacred. And they rarely make high level decisions without considering that. And so they're always 10, 100, 1,000 steps ahead of us. Because they've already worked out that if they do this, then that, then this, then that, then that. In a thousand years, they'll have the outcome that they desire. Whereas right. we're just thinking in really short terms. Also, they have really long lives. That's what I was going to ask, because that's part of it, too. The reason we think in shorter terms is because our lifespan is shorter. Yeah. And uh, um, I think I just started wandering off, off topic there. Sorry, dudes. But um, <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> on, you're on topic for us. We live off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, why did I just start talking about that? Anyway. Oh, oh, yeah, but um, oh, yeah, I was just sort of thinking, oh, yeah, not being in any denial about the practicality. Of, like, they're pragmatic. If they're allowing me to remember things that they wouldn't normally allow other people to remember, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're happy about me writing the book. This was a dance that I did with them at one stage where when I was in my 20s and I was camping in the Dandenongs, I'd had a really intense experience where I'd seen, like, I don't know what to call them at the time, but nowadays I suppose I'd, I'd say they're orbs or something. I don't know, they're sort of like lights moving through the trees. Um, when I was camping on my own in a little tent, I saw their hands moving across across the tent. They were walking around my tent. Um, I was just lying there thinking, what is going on? And they were saying to me um, this kind of like voice of God type sort of packet of information, but linguistic nonetheless, saying, why are you here? Now, I'd been interested in Wicca and Druidry, and I'd been wanting to contact mm-hmm. elves. So it, it had, so I suppose you'd say it was a CE5. It was a, it was a human-initiated event, really. I could see. Definitely thought about like that, the, for sure. I have the terminology to sort of deal with these things now, yeah. but in the, those days, I didn't. Um, but they said to me, I said to them, I'll help you out in any way you like. And they said to me, uh, the next day after that experience, they said to me, and I saw this little girl in the forest as well, this little blonde girl running around in the forest out in the middle of a national park and i was like what's going on here and they said we'll hold you to the bargain they said that to me then just a a few years ago back down here back near where i was growing up i moved back um they said to me we'll keep that bargain we'll hold you again to that bargain and i was like oh this is all linked (laughs) because i see it sounds stupid of me now to be saying it but i hadn't really necessarily also made a strong association yet between some of the earlier paranormal stuff in my life and the more ET UFO stuff that was sort of like starting to happen. That's, that's then, what I've been doing lately too, is connecting it all in mine. <laughs> and, and they wanted me to 
like they were saying, you know, we want you to write the book, but we didn't want to have to ask you. And I was saying, tell me, do you want me to write it or not? And they'd go quiet. <laughs> and then I was starting to write it and they were like, thank you. And then I was saying, write it yourselves under a pseudonym. Like, why do you need some weird little hairy dude in Australia writing it? <laughs> and they, were, they, were, they said, no, this is the way it's going to happen. You will humanize the message. And um, anyway, so, and I, I'm the kind of person as well that I couldn't do public speaking uh, when I was a kid. I used to get really embarrassed and shy. I, um, like I'm, I mean, I'm, I've gotten used to these things like podcasts and radio stuff now, but it's like I was just thrown into the deep end with all this kind of stuff. I am not the person that I would have chosen to have written a book if CTs had decided they want someone to write a book about them. You know, I was like, not me, dudes. What the? What are you thinking? You know. <laughs> um, but anyway, this seems to be what's what's happening. You know. I mean, that's um, the that's the that's the journey of the hero. I mean, that's Joseph Campbell. It's always the last person you would think in terms of the hero themselves, right? I mean, isn't that the way that it always is? And and that's precisely why, though. You know, because if you were that person, you you probably would be handled very very differently you know what i mean if you were the, woody, the person you think that it should be <laughs> you know woody woody yeah. derenberger comes to mind right right or king arthur i mean you know yeah. he's just a kid you know like <laughs> yeah well that that is true yeah someone who has an ambition or motivation to do the thing that they want you to do is not the kind of person they want to be doing yeah you want to be yeah. humanized i mean it, it makes perfect sense to me um and and even then you think why not why not someone like stephen king that already has a huge platform or even you know some like jacques valet like why not yeah. someone like that right but it you, or whitley whitley streber i mean he's already Wh- whitley. this anyway you know oh yeah well, i mean i'm reading and like, i'm reading communion right now and so a lot of what we're talking about already fits into a lot of that but yeah why not use them but it's it's because you don't want a big it seems to me if, if i were them too i want a slow burn i want this to slowly seep into culture seep which is what it's been doing between you know your book max book and some of the other theories and books that are out there in these circles it's this slow burn just like the stuff that's going on just with the u.s government and disclosure you know those different things it's been this slow burn since 1947 and it needed to happen that way and and i think the same thing here with you ryan it it is that same thing you know we don't need a michael jordan out there you know, we need a, and this is gonna totally blow sunshine up your ass, but we need a Jesus, a guy that nobody knows. <laughs> you know, uh, they know Jesus be. now, but they didn't know him back when he was walking around. So, <laughs> yeah, I won't be able to fit out the door in a minute when I go to walk out of this room. <laughs> well, you've already got you've already got the beard going, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I got the beard. Yeah. yeah. There uh, you go. <laughs> but 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 I, I yeah I think the slow stuff like it's felt like you were saying as well, Stefan, with yeah. the um slow disclosure. I mean, yeah, people want want the Band-Aid off and, and yeah, most people in the UFO community are like, we want to know everything, we want to know it right now. Um, I suppose like a drip-fed disclosure, slowly seeping it into our culture. Um, you know, ideas as well about, you know, that have been happening over the last few years, the last 10 years really, you've seen this kind of idea of multiple timelines in a multiverse. Mm-hmm. permeating uh, children's television and superhero 
um, narratives mm-hmm. where you can't really turn the television on anymore without it being about an alternative universe where something else slightly different is happening and this, that, and the yeah. other, you know, Rick and Morty kind of stuff, you know, like yeah. this is just everywhere. We're just 20 years ago. There's right. none of that. Now I think none this, I think this is not an accident because these beings have the capacity to try to step across timelines. That's, that's part of their gig. Yeah. And, so and that they, is how they are related to us. Yeah. They there's are, even some theories of, there's even some theories of time travel that are similar to that, where that that's what time travel is essentially, is that there are all these m- multiple universes existing at the exact same time. But that, of course, like we're saying that decision takes up this way, or there was even a theory I heard on coast to coast. They were talking about that earth in 1963 exists at the same time as earth in 2022 right now. So when you're, those that are traveling through time are not traveling through time. They're going to the dimension where 1963 exists right now. So they're crossing over to that dimension. It's exactly what it was in 1963, but it's actually just another dimension where 63 exists now. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Now, that, what you just said, is exactly the way the Mudjana described it to me, right? Right. Whereas, whereas other people have heard them talking about it slightly differently, talking about how you travel sort of more like a Back to the Future 2 kind of scenario yeah. maybe where, where you travel into the past and all it does is branch off another timeline. So now there's two. Whereas the Mudjana expressed that if you, like you said, if you want to go back to 1960, you locate a compatible timeline where it is for intents and, all intents and purposes identical to the way yours was in 1960, but right now. Yep. And you step across to that. Well, and that's... that's right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. That's 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 it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say that's that's very. It's exactly the way uh, John Teeter described uh, his time travel experiences. Okay, John Teeter. Yeah, yeah. That made, that name rings a bell. I think I do remember something about that a few. Years well, you know, ago. he's he's the guy that was the time traveler that disappeared. So, um, but yeah. Right. Right. Well, I don't want to. I know we're, we've been going here for about an hour. I could keep going. You, I, I we love, just hit time travel. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> I love the conversation, but I want to be respectful of time. Um, so, Ryan, I, I'd I'd love to be able to have you come back on sometime uh, if we work out of time. I feel like you got a lot more to say. We got a lot more to talk to you about. Um, but to give our listeners an opportunity, uh, where can they find your book or anything else that you have going on? Yeah, cool. Yeah, my book's on um, uh, Amazon as a paperback and a hardback and an ebook. Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto crypto Terrestrials. Um, and I have a YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Musgrave Evans. And I put like a, a rambling sort of vlog thing on there. That I, maybe I'll make a video every one every couple of weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's basically me spilling to the camera um, about different memories i've had or how things relate together or different things i'm noticing in ufology and making a comment on that kind of thing but um yeah so and if people actually want to comment me uh, contact me and ask me something or they think they have information to pass on or want to talk about their own experiences or whatever if you just go to my youtube channel and go to about um and you go down to you know business inquiries or whatever my email's there and anyone would be welcome to to say g'day um, 
So awesome. yeah, thanks guys. I'd love to come back on again at some stage. That'd be yeah, cool. yeah uh, you have pleasured us. I mean, you have been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Uh, no, seriously, Ryan. Thank yeah. you, man. Like thanks, this man. is the most incredible conversation I've had in quite a while. And I'm just oh, absolutely dude. thankful, dude. Like we could chat all day and stick around for a minute. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about my own experience. Um, oh, yeah, but cool, again, man. yeah, I forgot to, I forgot to ask you again about that. Yeah. 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 No worries that our listeners have heard it. So, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but yeah, we'll definitely have you back another time. Okay. Thanks guys. Yeah. It's been great fun. Good stuff. See you later. And thank you so much, uh, Ryan. Wow. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we so many, like I said, the ideas and theories and things that Stefan and I have had, so many of them were discussed, um, you know, with, with the interview and really just kind of, I think, lit a fire uh, back in both of us. Um, you know, we, our journey has never stopped, but yeah. just... To hear like a lot said, of these, you know, even just talking to Ryan afterwards, it's like um, uh, I, I shared with him a lot more details on to my abduction experience and some things like that. And it's got me wondering some things and uh, it, it played into some old theories that we had, some ones that we hadn't had a little uh, much uh, um, um, I guess experience with lately. Um, so it's kind of re re lit a fire under some of those old theories and some things like that. And it, it's got me wondering and man, Charles Ford, if you're listening, respond to this guy. Yeah. Um, like, you know, we did a little research into the Charles Ford tall whites stories and things like that as well. And there's a lot of similarities there. And I think you guys could have a good conversation. Yeah. So I would definitely, um, if anybody knows Charles Ford, please point him in the direction of Ryan Musgrave Evans because man, this man wants to share his story uh, and with someone who knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So. Very, you know, quite an opportunity there for some commonality. Right. So, yep, absolutely. And, and again, that's why we share the stories, right. Is to let people know that you're not alone. And so, yeah. Yep. So speaking of stories, uh, I want to get into our final segment of the week, which of course is encounters from the fearscape. Uh, Josh, so our listener story here for the Encounters from the Fearscape uh, comes from a listener named Anthony uh, down in Louisiana. Louisiana. Uh, got a fun story here uh, from them. But just a reminder to everyone, you can send in your stories to us, fearscapepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, they don't have to be ghost stories. They can be stories of an alien abduction. They can be um, seeing UFOs or uh, some sort of cryptid, anything like that, or just weird things that you just don't know how to explain or you can ask us questions and uh the like so send all of those things or even uh, we'll take third person stories that have been passed down you know folklore that yep. have been passed down in your family um lance who uh hosts uh mistress of the dark with me he's got a story his his grandfather uh was a part of uh, a traditional known ghost story that's in taylorsville kentucky that's fun i've been trying he's been trying to track down the news story that was done years ago about it um so it's like you know there's stuff that gets passed down and we want to hear those too but anyway so again like i said this comes from anthony in louisiana uh and this is anthony's story now pretty sure i grew up in a haunted house now my siblings and i once all had the same nightmare of this younger teenage girl with long black hair whose shriek made us all shoot up out of our beds at the same time 
Uh, we also in that house found blood stains that would then disappear and reappear at later times. A few times in that house, we saw face prints and hand prints in our basement walls, and they had blood splatter above them. Countless guests and female members and male members of my family, it didn't matter. They would come to the house and they would report to have a funny feeling when they came into the house and stayed. Now, anyone that tells me that it wasn't haunted, well, I call bullshit. Bloodstains, boy, that's a uh, that's an older haunted trope you don't hear a lot of yeah. much anymore. Though Kentucky has a number of what they call bleeding houses. Yeah, the um, the, bl- the blood kind of coming down the wall. Yeah, yeah. Like the, this girl that I dated in high school, um, she collected in the early days, you know, of the internet and things like that. She had like an old GeoCities <laughs> type site, you know, Angel Fire type site where she was collecting um kentucky ghost stories and places that were haunted and um she had shown me a number of different old civil war type homes in kentucky that had the bleeding walls and some things like that so uh very interesting but uh, the handprints would definitely freak me out but face prints that's where i draw the line that's where i move out that's where i say i'm gonna go live with grandmother so it's funny that it's funny that this is the um this the listener story because uh, on on the flight back, because you know I, I just came back from Arizona again. <laughs> it's it's like I've flown to Arizona more times in the last year. Uh, but anyways, and on the flight back, uh, I was uh, I went ahead and paid the eight bucks for the internet, and I was watching TikTok videos. Um, and I came across a woman who uh, cleaned her bathroom, uh, cleaned the mirror, left, came back like twenty minutes later, and there was a face print on the mirror. Nope. Bye. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I mean, sometimes I put my face up on things, Josh. I one time stole your wife's compact mirror, and I put my nose print on there. Yep, I know I heard about it. Yep, it smelled good, though. Yep. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> I don't either. I tell him to stop messing with people's stuff, but he he's like the uh, the, the pink humanoids. Uh, that that Keel oh, talked yeah. about. Keel he just thinks because they're there, you're you're allowed to use them. I mean, second part of his name's Devil. What do you expect? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways, Josh, uh, uh, just you know, thank you, Anthony, for sending that in. Uh, send those to us uh, at Fearscape Pod on all of our social medias. Please go ahead and send us those stories, um, or just hit us up. You know, you can always message or message us on Facebook whatever man we're here uh but josh i'm ready to get out of here uh thank you again so much to ryan musgrave evans uh pick up his book uh it's on amazon it ain't that expensive get his book man check out his youtube page uh he uh i was i kind of went into a little bit of a rabbit hole after the interview watching a bunch of his videos he's definitely a rambler and a ranter like he said kind of reminds me of the walter bosley videos where he's like i'm just gonna get on and just talk about shit like (laughs) It's great. I really liked it. So I really like that, man. Ryan, you're a good dude, man. And I cannot wait to have you back on because I think we haven't even scratched the surface with the conversation because we were just hitting time travel. I mean, it's like we going to have some fun with Ryan in the future. So we're on that. So before we go, just another quick reminder, uh, Astral Stew, 
uh, is out this week. Make sure you check out that episode. We're talking about um, love in the astral plane uh, and just all sorts of different paranormal style of love. Uh, it's going to be a fun uh, Valentine's Day episode with Santosh and myself and Josh. Uh, also, don't forget to check out Tech Talk on the debrief with Josh and myself. Man, we are having so much flipping fun that should be coming out um next week right i think we should yep. have a new episode we're going to be talking about uh some fun stuff so check that out check out the first two episodes make sure to like and subscribe let them guys know we have some fun followers uh you can go to the debrief.org or simply just uh type in the debrief tech talk onto your youtube search page and find all that fun stuff and then the last bit of uh news well i mean standard work i gotta get out of the way is fearscapemedia.com make sure you guys are going to that check out uh all the other podcasts that are there um wishful drinking and binge thinking she just uh, kelly just dropped season two today and oh god she is so freaking hilarious dude i love her so so much so check out season two uh her first episode just dropped she does this monthly the last uh the last monday of every month uh and season two just dropped today so go ahead and check that out and check out everything else fearscapemedia.com bye felicia bye josh (laughs) bye luke skywalker uh he's behind me at all times um but uh, i love you guys so much Thank you guys so much for tuning into Fearscape Paranormal as you do here on the Fearscape Media Network. Uh, This is Stefan with just a reminder to keep your eyes on the skies. And this has been Josh. The truth is now. And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight. Things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.